For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Tonight, we are celebrating the one and only Angela, Dame Angela Lansbury. I have some very special people waiting in the wings, all who have a very special connection uh, with her, and I am thrilled uh, to be able to celebrate her tonight. When she passed away, a dear friend reached out and said, I hope that you're going to put together a tribute. And I reached out to these incredible people, and they all said yes to tonight. Uh, but before we start, I think we need a little Christmas. So I'm going to start with this clip, and then we'll see each other on the other side. Here it is. Out the holly, put up the tree before my spirit falls again. Fill up the stocking, I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now. For we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candles in the window, carols at the spirit. Yes, we need a little Christmas right this very minute. It hasn't snowed a single flurry, but Santa dear, we're in a hurry. So climb down the chimney, put up the brightest string of lights I've ever seen. Slice up the fruitcake, it's time we hung some tinsel on that evergreen bow. Long time since I got the favorite. So I stopped the fruitcake. It's time we hung some tinsel on the favorite bow. For we need a little music, need a little laughter, need a little singing, ringing through the rocker. And we need a little stuffing, happy ever after. Need a little Christmas
Now, if there's anyone who can bring us a little Christmas, it's Ron Fassler. And we're not up in the cheap seats tonight, Ron. You've got a front row seat right here. And I want to thank you for being here. Uh, first of all, thank you for these three amazing blogs uh, that you wrote this week. Uh, the other night, I had Sheila Evans on the show. And she told this very funny story. Uh, well, it wasn't funny at the time to her, but she was at a party once and a woman came up to her and said to her, I've been assigned by the New York Times to write your obituary. I've been working on it for two years. And I'm reminded because these three blogs that you wrote on Angela Lansbury are so thorough and so, well, you're an amazing writer to begin with, but did you, were these you know, thought processes that were running through your head after she passed away? Or was this something that you had been thinking about for quite some time? Uh, well, thank you for all those compliments, Richard. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't do what the New York Times does, which is get well ahead of a subject uh, who, you know, is getting up in years. It makes perfect sense to start to compile all that information, especially for a career, uh, one that it was as long as Angela Lansbury's, you know, eight decades in the public eye. Um, so, and I also had an inkling she was sick because as I did mention uh, in my column, when I attended the Tony Awards this year and she was presented with the special Lifetime Tony, uh, there was a little buzz in the audience when there was no appearance from her. Uh, not that we were expecting her to come out, make the trip, it's COVID, she's 96, uh, but we thought maybe a video saying, oh, thank you for this. And when there was nothing like that, I got concerned and I thought about it, but I never said to myself, gee, I better start getting that column together because like so many people, you just hope that she's going to live forever. She's going to be one of those like Norman Lear and Dick Van Dyke and these people we've had with us for decades and continue to to give us nothing but their their selfless joy that they project. And you just want that energy to to always be here. But of course, you know, all good things come to an end. Um, I did take the full three days to write the columns. Uh, in terms of how did I do it? Well, look behind me. Uh, I'm a little old school. I've got the books. And uh, of course, the internet's a, a wonderful source. And I knew certain stories I wanted to tell. And I wanted to try and cover as much as possible. In fact, I actually had a post-it on the computer that said, don't forget the Oscar. <laughs> because, you know, it's such an, a rich theater career. I, I had to remember that in 2013, uh, they wisely gave her a special Academy Award for all of her great film work. Well, you know, it's amazing because as I think about her, you, you just made a comment, you know, we hope that they'll live forever. And the wonderful thing is Angela Lansbury will live forever. Uh, just over the last uh, few days that she's passed, I've gone back and it's still on every night. Uh, Murder, She Wrote is right there. Mm -hmm. These incredible sure. recordings we just heard uh, from MAME. Uh, MAME was the first show that I did uh, when I was 13 years old. Not in New York, long from New York. But that was when I first began to fall in love with Angela Lansbury, listening to that cast recording. And then, of course, it was not long after that that uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks came out. And... I went back and I watched that the other night and I was thinking about her at that point in her life. That was just a couple of years after MAME, the film came out. And what a shame that that performance was not preserved on film. Yeah, it's a terrible shame. And uh, it might've even been a good movie because it, it, it it's not a bad film. It's just That's miscast. Right. 
And uh, she would have been marvelous in it. And probably Madeline Kahn would have stayed on as Gooch because, you know, dear Lucy got her fired because she feared being upstaged. And we all know those stories. But but uh, let's concentrate on Angela. And it's funny that when you said uh, that you were, you know, just listening to the the song we played, do you hear the joy in her voice? It's oh, yeah. it's just it's extraordinary to me what she's able to convey. Um, I mean, I, I always love in Have a Little Priest when she says business needs a lift and her voice goes, business needs a lift. And the way it just goes, lift. you know, it just I know Sondheim wrote it that way, but nobody else does it. Nobody else understands intrinsically that you can lift your voice on the word lift. She was filled with a, an innate sense of what was funny, what was true. And she was a, a tremendously down to earth and yet larger than life talent. That was her gift. Carol Channing is a sensational performer, but, you know, didn't have the gravitas, you know, or, or what, what, what Angela Lansbury was able to do almost more than any other star was imbue her personality into the role she played and never just give us an Angela Lansbury performance. Never. It was always these characters in service. She was a tremendous actress. And then she had this glorious voice that basically went unheard for the first 20 years of her career. It's extraordinary. Now, you mentioned in uh, one of the blogs about uh, having seen Sweeney Todd. How many times, did, was it four times that you saw? I paid to see it four times and I always went to a Wednesday matinee because you could get an orchestra seat for $18. And in 1979, $18 was a lot of money for you know a young man starting his career in New York. Uh, although my the rent of my apartment was $250. But, you know, that was a lot of money when you only made $100 a week. Everything's relative, right? Um, but boy, I'm so glad I did that. I actually had tickets to the final performance that she and Len Carrie gave, but I actually had a Broadway gig. I was understudying at a Broadway show. And I said, please just let me go to the Eurus. I'll just, I'll be there. You can come get me. I'll be in seat G12, you know? But uh, I sent my brother in my stead. Uh, but every time I saw that show, I, it was, I mean, Sweeney Todd with that original company on Broadway was one of the most thrilling experiences of my entire theater going life of 50 plus years. And most people I know who saw it felt the same way. Well, we have the original Joanna with us right now. Sarah Rice is here. Uh, How about that? Somewhere, Sarah, I don't see you. Uh, there she is. There she is. And we also have Chris Brundahl with us. So thank you both for joining us this evening as we celebrate uh, this body of worth, uh, I like to refer to it. Uh, Sarah, are you having a few technical issues there? If so, we'll start with Chris. Otherwise, uh, I think we are. Chris, yeah. uh, to the show, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you uh, were with the original show and you toured with uh, Angela Lansbury as well. Right. I was in the original ensemble. I originated the the bird seller. <laughs> so night after night, I was selling birds to Sarah Rice. <laughs> and uh, I was understudying uh, Victor, uh, who never missed a performance. And uh, so when I took over, he was the only principal who had a six-month contract. And wow. he... He left after six months. And uh, I remember the audition because Sarah came in actually to audition uh, Greenfinch and All Miss. And uh, and Hal Prince was there with his assistant, Artie Masella. And uh, 
they I remember we went through our paces uh, on stage with the props. And I remember uh, Hal just turned to Artie and said, uh, uh, let's give it to him. And uh, changed changed my life because it, I mean, can you imagine your first Broadway show is the original Sweeney Todd? I mean, wow. it's it's historic. And that ensemble, I mean, it had people like, you know, Walter Charles and Craig Lucas and Betsy Jocelyn and all these people who went on to do major things later on. And uh, so, yeah, I got to... I got to play Anthony with Sarah and with Len and, and Angela uh, until the end of their run. So I got to do seven months with them and then another six months with uh, George and uh, Dorothy Loudon. And, uh, and then, of course, Angela and George Hearn, and we, we, we did the tour, which was about a 10-month run, which was finally filmed uh, in... Uh, Los Angeles and uh, yeah. Dorothy Chandler. So, yeah. You uh, you, one of the things that I read, I, Ron, that you wrote that I thought was so amazing was that she talked about uh, the characterization of uh, Mrs. Lovett and that she, you know, when you look at her career and her body of, again, worth behind this, that starting out with, you know, Gaslight, and that that was just a, a continuation of this character. Chris, can you talk about her process as an actress and what it was like to be in the rehearsal room with her preparing for this show? Yeah, uh, you know, the uh, well, she uh, to say that she was very professional was kind of ridiculous, but I remember the one thing, um, she she came out to do her first number and uh, um, she kind of stopped and you could see her sniffing. Do you remember this, Sarah? Uh, can Sarah hear us? No? Uh, I think Sarah's frozen again. Uh, she's, uh, oh, she's oh yes, she is. Yes. Maybe having issues there. Um, we will get her well, on. I mean, she, anyway, she was sniffing and she didn't like something. And, and she said to the costume designer, what, what did you distress this with? And and I think she was told something like it was rancid mayonnaise. They went, they went for realism. Oh. It, they, they went for realism. Like at one point, oh. every time there were buckets of dirt in the wings and the costume designer, every time the ensemble came on, wanted us to be refurbished with dirt. And that was done away with, thank God. Um, but yeah, so Angela had this sweater and it was distressed with, not paint and, and stuff like that. So um, she took it off and she went and got something else on so she could continue the rehearsal. And then, uh, yeah, she said, you know, distress this like a professional and, and we'll, we'll continue. Um, you know, the ensemble, uh, we weren't like in a rehearsal room too much with Angela and Len. They, they were doing their scenes and the ensemble had so much to do. I mean, from learning the opening number to learning uh, more hot pies, which was so difficult. And uh, so, I mean, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time rehearsing as it were with Angela Lansbury and Len Cariou, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I just remember when she first came out, 
to do her opening number. She she had worked it all out with all the little quirks and the slapping of the insect and the and the you know whatever all the little things she did and the bumps with the music and all that stuff. She had worked it all out and she was ready to go. Just amazing. Uh, Sarah, are you with us? I, Sarah, there seems to be an issue here. I'm going to show another clip that I've got here. Uh, Kurt Peterson, uh, I reached out to him to be here. Of course, he was in Dear World with Angela Lansbury. Uh, and uh, he unfortunately could not be here this evening. But uh, he recently did a birthday uh, greeting for her. And that's what I want to share at this point. So here it is. Happy birthday, Angela. Kurt Peterson here. I am so honored to be able if to I send can you get this. On, we're having Angela. Kurt Peterson here. I am so honored to be able to send you this birthday wish and have a chance to, to thank you so much for all you've meant to me. You helped me weather the disappointment of our troubled little show, Dear World. Gave me the opportunity to become a producer with your brilliant Mama Rose and Gypsy. You were an anchor in our special tribute to Stephen Sondheim. And years later, you welcomed my return to the stage with our dear friend, Vicki Mallory, in our reunion concert. In the years in between, you continued to awe me with your professionalism and genius on the stage, television, and film. I am sure I'm joined by many of your friends and colleagues as I quote one of Jerry Herman's lines from Dear World, one person can change the world. I know that for a fact, because I know you changed mine. Thank you, and love you very much. Happy birthday. Thank you for that. Nice. Uh, so, uh, how many performances or had you seen of uh, Angela's before uh, getting the opportunity to work with her, Chris? You mean on stage? On stage. Oh, no, I hadn't seen her. I mean, like I said, Sweeney was my first. I, I came to the city in 75. Okay. And so we were we were cast in Sweeney sometime in 78, and then it kept getting postponed uh, until 79. And so I hadn't seen her do anything. The first Broadway shows I saw was when I was in uh, New Jersey in Peace Corps training in uh, 1971. Uh, I was in Peace Corps training and I came in to the city and I saw uh, Jerry Orbach and Promises, Promises and Ethel Merman and Hello, Dolly. And those were my first two Broadway shows. Oh, that ain't bad. That, that ain't <laughs> bad. So, so I'd never, I had never seen Angela on stage. I had probably seen like the picture of Dorian Gray and I had probably seen Gaslight and Manchurian Candidate and things of that sort. But no, I hadn't, I had not seen her on stage. Wow. Well, I want to bring on uh, David Michaels now. Uh, hello, David. Thank you for joining Hi. us this evening. Um, and if you can tell us about your trajectory with Angela Lansbury. I don't know where to start because there were just so many different aspects to it. Um, the fact that I'm talking to you now and saying that she was a friend is kind of enough. I could die happy tomorrow. I mean, it was... Uh, because whoever would have thunk. I mean, when I was a, a kid, my parents um, wanted to see the Manchurian candidates. So they, they took my brother and I and threw us in the back of the car 
and went, we went to a drive-in, which we used to do then. <laughs> Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> and I think they just thought we would fall asleep. But I stayed through the whole thing. I had no idea what was going on. But I was fascinated with the bad lady. And I got really upset when they shot the bad lady. I hope that's not a spoiler. Um, and, and, um, and then not long after that, you know, I, I was homesick from school and I was watching TV and the Harvey girls came on um, and there was the bad lady again. And this time she was being mean to Judy Garland. And um, again, I was fascinated with her. I couldn't stop looking at her. And, you know, so I grew up that way. And she had asked me, she was honored um, I, with the pandemic. I never know how many years ago anything was anymore. I, but I know the same. I'm the same way. A number of years ago, the uh, Hollywood Press Club honored her. And um, she asked me to present the award to her, which was probably the biggest thrill of my life. And I got to tell her these stories, which was, you know, such a thrill. But um, I, if I could, this isn't funny, but um, the way that I actually met her, um, uh, we were at the height of AIDS and I was a governor at the TV Academy in Los Angeles. And I decided that the Academy should be doing something about AIDS. And so I said, we need to form this committee and then do shows, award shows that basically uh, reward people for responsible programming in the area of AIDS awareness and encourage people to do it. Mm -hmm. And I went before the Board of Governors and I met up with such ugliness, I, I can't even tell you. One person actually stood up and said, why should we help these people? It's their fault they got sick. I mean, and this was at the Television Academy. Um, this is the creme de la creme. So I didn't. I had never met Angela, but I wrote her a letter. Now, get this. It was an actual letter on a piece of paper. Then I put a stamp on it. And I just wrote basically Angela and Care of Murder, she wrote. And I mailed this letter. And two days later, Peter called me, her husband. And I, I explained to them what I was trying to do and what had happened. And Peter said, oh, my God, you must come over and have lunch with us. And of course, we're going to help you. So off I went to their humongous dressing room thing at Murder, She Wrote. And uh, that was when I first met her. And, you know, she was, again, just so not acting like a star. She was um, she had ordered in some salads, but she made toast for Peter and she made Peter's tea and she served him and she and we went on to um, form this very successful thing that lasted for 13 years at the TV Academy. Um, and that's how I actually got to know her. But then, you know, through the years, um, she was in so many benefits I produced and things like that, um, that um, and again, one of the great joys was uh, for a lot of these things, I got to um, travel with her. I got to be her travel escort if we were going either from New York to LA. Or, and those were some of my favorite times because there's something about, I don't know, something about being on a plane where you, I think you get looser, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, and Especially we in first class. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it definitely was sure. first class. Um, <laughs> and um it was some of our best conversations, I think, because, see, I never knew her to be mean or to say anything mean. No. But she definitely had her opinions. Um, and I, I guess I can share this now because really it doesn't matter. But 
we were, this was in first class before the pods, you know, so they just had the big seats and you could see everybody else and what they were doing. And somebody to the left and in front of us was watching the reboot of uh, Manchurian Candidate, which I personally refused to even consider seeing. Wow. Because I, I don't understand when something's perfect, why you would have to try <laughs> to fix it. But, um, and she obviously was not fond of it. And, you know, but like I said, it was always hard to get her to say a bad word. But so she would say, now that's supposed to be this. And that's yeah. supposed to be this. And then this full screen shot came on of Meryl Streep. And she said, and that's supposed to be mommy. <laughs> and that is about as close <laughs> She ever came to saying something mean? Yeah, you know that I ever knew, and she wasn't being mean. Um, she was. Um, so it was just one experience after the other, and then we actually did become friends. And I would live for the emails that would come that said "Love Angie," yeah. and parties at her house. Um, they weren't like showbiz parties; they were more like family gatherings because you know, her family was always included. And I, I remember when she taught me the proper way to eat a scone, you, you know, and she included people from my family. And um, it was just all so loving and so wonderful. And um, I guess maybe the story you want to hear from me is that Jerry Herman tribute in L.A. Um, it's probably the most entertaining thing I can tell you. I don't know if you have the clip, Richard. Oh, well, I, you know, that's the clip that I've been waiting to get uploaded and I'm still waiting uh, for... Hopefully it's going to get here. Um, well, what uh, happened was... Um, you want to tell the story while I'm trying to get this? Sure. I, I was working for the Actors Fund in L.A. I was producing all of their uh, events in Los Angeles. And um, we started this series. There were the For years in L.A., there were the famous stage benefits uh, that David Galligan did. Yes. And um, so when I got to the Actors Fund, I said, I want in on this. So we created... We called it Stage 2, T-O-O. Um, which was the same thing. It's just that I was producing them, you know. Uh, and the first thing I said was, um, I want to do a Jerry Herman tribute. That's what I want to do. And, um, you know, I had, again, had the honor of meeting Jerry a couple of times. And we called Jerry and he was all in. And he worked with us on this very closely, which could be a good or bad thing when you're working with a composer and his music. But it turned out to be a very good thing. He was nothing but supportive. Only once in a while, he just said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But it was, you know. So we had this idea. Angela and Carol had never appeared on the same stage together at mm. this point in time. This was 2001. Mm -hmm. And um, so Jerry said, well, they should just do a big finale together. And I said, well, what you need to do, Jerry, is write lyrics write some new lyrics to Mame and Dolly and let's let's kind of combine it and have them do it. And Jerry was quiet when I said that. And every time I brought it up, he was quiet until one time he called and said, David, I don't have to write anything. All you have to do is have them switch songs, which of course was brilliant. Um, so yeah, the number opened up with Angela at the top of a stairway. They were twin stairways. And um, she came out and after like a five minute ovation for her doing nothing, um, she said, I've always wanted to do this. And she sang Hello, Dolly. Um, beautifully, by the way. 
And when she got to the dolly will never go away, you hear from off stage, somebody singing my song. And Carol came on. And well, um, I'm going to bring on somebody else who was there that night because could that be Harlan. <laughs> That could be Harlan. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this is the night that Harlan and Carol Channing bonded. So it's a big night. Uh, it actually happened not that night. It happened uh, the day before. Because famously, um, during the rehearsal the day before, and there's, you, know, you know how little rehearsal there is for benefits, Angela's over on one side talking to uh, the uh, choreographer. The stage lights were not on. There was just work lights. Carol walked to the top of her stairs and decided to try them out and went head over heels down the stairs. Oh, my God. Landed on her head, um, chipped a bone in her arm. I mean, it was just, there was blood. It, it was just like, um, and it's funny because so there was all this commotion in Wuhan. We got Carol off into a green room where we called the uh, paramedics. And... Um, but again, all this commotion on stage and, and I, Angela's looking at me and I said, well, you and the boys just keep rehearsing. And Angela said, you owe me for this, you know, which again was the closest she ever came to saying anything mean. Um, so while that's all going on, I'm getting off of Angela for a minute. Carol's in with the paramedics, Harlan's there, and they immediately just bonded like that. And luckily we, we got this beautiful gay paramedic who showed up, who knew exactly who he was dealing with. <laughs> and, um, um, <laughs> and you know, she turned out, he said, and he pointed like at her head and looked at me and I said, well, I don't think she's any more confused than before she fell, quite honestly. And he asked her, you know, questions, you know, they ask questions to see if you're coherent and all this, which is harder with Carol, you know, but, um, uh, he said, darling, what seems to be the problem? And she said, well, the problem is she's getting more rehearsal than I am. And <laughs> anyway, off Harlan and Carol went to the hospital. It's his story there, but they were inseparable ever since. I mean, uh, I shouldn't tell your story, Harlan. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> that's a Carol story, not an Angela story. I know, I know, but it's all related. It was very, it was very funny when the poor paramedic walked in and he, he said, He's in shock in his face. He said, you're Carol Channing. She says, oh, I know that, dear. <laughs> and then Angela yeah. stuck her head immediately in to make sure she was okay. And then followed by Time Daily, Bernadette Peters, and the list went on. And this poor paramedic just absolutely dropped his, you know. Yeah, no, dropped. we made, we made yeah, his no, year, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, th this was a very major night for me because it was, as you said, the night I bonded with both of them. Um, I had met them both before. I'd met uh, Angela through TV Cares because of you. And that was really, you know, I'd worked with her on those programs and that kind of thing with her, but never, the bond became very, very strong the night Carol fell. And Angela and both Carol and Angela told me I handled it so well. I was so calm. And like, if they had only known the panic that was running through my body during that evening. Through all of our bodies. Yeah. Because every gay man in town had bought this, these tickets it was completely sold out to the rafters and they were coming to see this number and my life started going before my eyes i mean yes i was worried about carol but i was also worried was she going to show up the next night oh um, she never had any doubt she was going to be there and angela knew she was going to be there yeah. they both had no doubt that the other that everything that you know what was going to happen angela her focus was on everyone else calming everyone yeah. 
down. Absolutely. When else happens? You we'll see if you see the clip, Richard. She's wearing a cast. Well, uh, guess what? While you have been talking, I've been <laughs> uploading the clip. So we're going to watch the clip. It's right worth now. taking the time for. It's yes. pretty special. So here yeah. it is. Uh, and of course, it's it's just magic, sheer magic. Here it is. Yeah. 
And Ron Abel's ponytail. Wow. <laughs> Ron Abel's ponytail. Which you, you know, see. how can you not? What happened? I you know, know um, extraordinary. Well, there we go. I was go just going to say that uh, it is kind of extraordinary when you think that uh, Angela died just before her 97th birthday and uh, Carol died just before her 98th. It's uh, yeah. they were with us a very long time. Yeah. What you couldn't see there was when that ended, the piano rose up. Jerry was sitting at the piano. Yeah. So it was pretty spectacular. That was that was the night I I mean I was already working with Bob Hope and Tippi Hedren and a host of others, but that night was when I became Harlan Bowl because I suddenly had the two biggest names in the world under working with. Yeah. They 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 especially Angela, she was my champion. Although I always thought that I was some special person she'd chosen to, <laughs> to mentor, to work with, that she she lied about me, quite frankly, to people saying how wonderful you know, I was. Um, and I was <laughs> responsible for the Kennedy Center. And I went, I mean, she gave me cheers that I didn't deserve. And uh, I found out she was a champion to a lot of people. It wasn't just- She I was, but, it, but she wouldn't have done it if she didn't like you. Oh, I, 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 You know, she just would have done something gracious and noncommittal. Yeah, and, yeah. And, as, <laughs> and as that as David as David said, she was never she was hard pressed to say anything bad about anybody or not to encourage them. I remember after Sweeney closed the road show, uh, I really didn't see her for thirty years, and then my wife and I went to see her in Blythe Spirit on Broadway, and we were first on the list to go backstage and see her, and this is the truth. We opened the door. She opened the door. 
and she was in a little bathrobe and she looked up at me and I hadn't seen her for 30 years. And the first words out of her mouth were, I hope you're still singing. Ah, oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. beautiful. First thing. You know, Stephanie uh, Rule on uh, MSNBC uh, last week, uh, they, she did a little tribute to her. I don't know if you all saw it, but she's, she made this comment at the end. She's how lucky all of us are that lived at the same time that Angela Lansbury lived. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's left us now, but this body of work was unfolding in our lifetimes. And how lucky, you know, I, uh, I only met her once in person, but how, I mean, I saw her on stage in Bly Spirit, in A Little Night Music, um, in uh, The Best Man. Uh, I was so lucky to see those performances and to see her still at the very top of her game. I, That's I, never wavered. I have, I have to tell you, when, um, uh, when she, the, just I got the Hirschfeld that's behind me with Angela and Carol as a gift. Um, uh, right after that, she said, I'm retiring, Harlan. You need to know I'm going to stop. And then Bly Spirit came along. And she went, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do this. And then I'm I'm not going to do anything else. And then a little night music came along. And she, when I got the call, I went, you're working, aren't you? And she said, well, I, I, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm absolutely going to stop. And then the next thing I hear, she's going on the road with, uh, with James Earl Jones with Driving Miss Daisy. I go, on the road. Yes. Australia. Yeah, she, didn't, she didn't want to stop. She just yes. did not want yeah. to stop. And I have to why say, should she? Yeah, I mentioned the Tonys earlier. We knew when they offered her the lifetime, we knew then that she would not be able to make that appearance. So that should not, I felt that was treated very badly because they made it sound like she just uh, wasn't feeling well and didn't show. We had told them in advance that she was not going to be able to attend. So that should have been made very clear. To the public that she was not going to be able to attend to accept. No, but it made everybody think she was dying. Yeah, my my phone rang off the hook from from press and media asking if she was on death's door at that time. Yeah, I was really upset that yeah. they went ahead. It was very upsetting. I have to tell you that Dina, you know, her assistant and I talked about this. She was not doing well when the Queen passed, and I we believe with all our heart she willed herself to continue past so that she wouldn't want to steal anything from or lose anything by passing the <laughs> did. She just, she, she just held on at the end there. That's great. I'm going to show another quick clip. Uh, and this was when uh, Jerry was honored at the Kennedy Center. This is the rehearsal clip that uh, you said. Uh, this is and Harlan's then, clip, uh, right? Yes. And then um, hopefully we're going to get Sarah Rice on after this. So uh, let's uh, try uh, showing this clip, and then I'll bring Sarah on, on the other side. No, no, we just stand there and hold hands. Okay, oh, okay. That's enough for me. So so that I have to tell you, this was the first time I realized my phone videos. <laughs> and I, I just, I was going to take a picture and I realized, oh, video is an option. So I switched it over 
Andy, you have to give a little shout out to Cheetah. I mean, you know, we can't just look back to Angie, Angie did me so well on that trip. So uh, she got me a better suite right next to Julia Roberts. She got me a car of my own to to ride around. She, she you would have thought I was the star of that of that trip, but she she handled me so well. I have to share. We Carol and Angie. Angie was sitting behind me in the car. The driver was to to left. I was in the front seat, and Carol was behind the driver. And we're driving past the Capitol, and there's scaffolding all over it. And Carol said, oh, no, they had scaffolding over it the last time I was here. And I commented, well, it was being built then. <laughs> and from behind me, I heard Angie say, should I? And Carol went, oh, would you? And I got smacked in the head. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Sarah, are you with us? Oh no, I don't, uh, Sarah! I don't believe you really have her book. This is just a <laughs> so, Sarah, uh, I mean, she can't hear. Her. Uh, I, I am sorry. I don't know what the issue is. Sarah, try, uh, uh, you know, closing out completely and coming back. Can you hear me at all? No, she's there, smiling. I I yeah, and I don't know sign, so I don't. So. While we're, I mean, Sarah, I hope that you can, if you can leave and come back, that might help. Uh, so try that and see if that'll make a difference. Um, Ron, I want to ask you, you, these incredible, and you, if you haven't seen it, everyone, go and read these blogs. Uh, I and want Ron, to, I really want to. Just brilliant, uh, you know, giving, you know, a, a view of her entire uh, body of worth once again, Sarah. She's 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 having issues, uh, which I'm so sorry about. Um, I think it's a hologram, Richard. Yes, it is. Uh, Ron, the first time that you saw her on stage, uh, because again, everyone get this incredible book up and <laughs> uh, plug for you. So, uh, but the first time that you saw her on stage, well, I tell you, I wish I was a few years older. You know, I mean. Uh, I would have been there for anyone can whistle, you know, because in my teenage years, I saw every single show that hit Broadway, but I didn't start until uh, early 1969. So she was not in Mame. I got to see Ann Miller play it, which was fantastic. Um, but I, I so I, 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 I actually think the first time would have been uh, Gypsy then, uh, which was 75. And, you know, well, what else can be said about it? I remember there was some criticism at the time that she was playing it too ladylike. And I was like, what does that even mean? Of what I mean, show? She was of Gypsy. Uh, you know, oh, no. she didn't have the she didn't have the, the the earthy the grit. And I was like, what show were you watching? I mean, it's. Uh, but I mean, look, you know, she was she was praised to the skies, and that was her third Tony Award. And, but it really was uh, Sweeney Todd was just. I felt like everything she'd ever learned as an actor went into that performance because there were bits of, uh, of, of Mame's seductiveness and there were bits of the mayoress from, from Anyone Can Whistle's brashness. And then there was the old time musical theater, you know, the kind of theater she grew up watching people on stage who did those, those vaudeville turns. Everything she did in that show was so true, Absolutely. so real, and yet so funny and so poignant and she could just break your heart. I mean, and the way she moved. I was always everything about it. She 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 had it all. And what was she about sixty when she did that part? Um, yeah, that would have been. Was, yeah, yeah. She was forty uh, Ron, when she did sixty six. You realize yeah. she was the first person to have the nerve to do it. That was the very first Broadway revival. Yes, nobody would touch it because of Merman. 
And yes, and in fact, the, the London production she starred in was supposed to star Elaine Stritch, and they couldn't raise the money on Elaine's name. And she turned the part down once, and then they came back to her almost a year later. And, you know, thank, thank God she did it, you know. Um, I thought it was so and, brilliant. Yeah. And, and then to finish out with The Blithe Spirit, which was just, again, it was that devilish, playful quality that she brought to it. I mean, I saw it from the front row and I, I, I you know, I, I, you couldn't get any closer if you were on stage with her, you know. And it was just to see the, the joy with which she was attacking it. And I, I mean, I... I I've seen so many of the great actors, you know, I mean, I did get to see Mary Martin and Robert Preston and some of the, the greats who came, you know, before her as, as in terms of, of great theater stars. Um, and I did see Merman play Dolly like you did, Chris. Um, but boy, Angela Lansbury was almost in a, just a class by herself because every time you knew you were going to get that same force of nature uh, and that, that that incredible ability to again stay grounded and real and yet be as broad and because it's all truthful that's the bottom line that any actor will tell you you know when you watch gene wilder play comedy your sides are splitting because he's playing it as if it's drama the stakes right. are so high and that's exactly how she approached all of her work she was just Absolutely extraordinary, you know. And for those who haven't seen that Driving Miss Daisy, you should know it is available on on DVD. Oh, it's so good, Ron. I also just want to shout out to um, if, if I don't know if any of you else got to see it, but her performance in Dear World was magical. You would, you might be too young. Guys no, I, I was going to the theater every week at that time, and I kept saying, "Well, I've got time to see Dear World." I didn't quite understand economics, and all of a yeah. sudden it closed and I missed it. And oh, she just um, did because I love that. that you never think of anyone would think of doing, you, you know. Just. Yeah. And she also said um, more than once that she had never been in better voice than when she did Dear World. And if you listen to that album, man, I, I, it's, it sends chills up my spine when yeah. she sings Kiss Her Now and songs like that. Uh, just just yeah. an extraordinary talent. Yeah. We're so lucky we had her so long. That's the we thing. Uh, somebody are. said to me, you know, I'm sad about Angela Lansbury dying, but oh my God, we're so lucky. We're so lucky. And very similar to Sondheim, you know, just to have lived in the time of the Shakespeare of our time. We lived during that time, you know. Um, I'm just so still bothered that there, there's this whole generation that only knows Jessica Fletcher and to me, that's like the least important thing that ever happened. You, you know, and you knew the obituary. Yeah. When, when yeah. I had her, when and you, she was one of the nine ladies I got inducted into this, or careers inducted into the Smithsonian. I was really kind of surprised. We, of course, had the typewriter from Murder, She Wrote. She donated, she, uh, and her, her gown and bugle that was signed by the cast wow. went into the Smithsonian. Wow. And it would, it, everyone knew, every, it shocked me that people didn't realize the, the, uh, the, um, her, how large her career was because in the Smithsonian they of course listed this whole thing in the bio and several people who were in the audience who think of her as Jessica Fletcher didn't were just jaw dropping realizing oh that's right oh that's right it's not that they didn't realize <coughs> it didn't have a career it had just been overpowered well you know if, if an artist is lucky enough to have the longevity that she had um, each generation has their own version of her. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are many Disney fans yeah. who know yeah. her from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, those of us yeah. who were lucky enough 
to see her on stage. And as Ron described this, the magic of her, I mean, when she was in Blythe Spirit, uh, she was giving a full throttle performance and hysterical. Every line was uh, uh, cracking the audience up. And she was able to give that. Uh, and then there's, of course, the television audience who got to know her. But thank God we have that. Well, that yeah. Uh, yeah. But if that had not existed, you know, perhaps we would not have had a Mrs. Santa Claus. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly. I'm not saying yeah. Murder, She Wrote was a bad thing, but it wasn't the only thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. right. Well, now she went and in Black Spirit, she was giving a physical performance that a much younger person would have given. That's right. Absolutely. Let me also say one thing about Blythe Spirit. The night I saw it, and I'm sure it's not dissimilar from other nights, she got entrance applause, of course. Then she got entrance applause on her second entrance, which I've never seen before, which was in Act Two. Just the audience just, you know, just wanted to say, thank you for Act One. I've yeah. never seen that. Yeah, you know, Ron, uh, you made a comment about Mame, the, the film role. Uh, Lucy yeah. Arnett is a very, very, very good friend of mine, and she wrote this after Angela passed, so I can I can quote her. She said, even my mother knew Angie should have uh, had that role. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, yeah, it yeah. had to have been painful, especially when Gene Sachs was directing it, and he directed the Broadway show, and Robert Preston was in it, and they had a pre-relationship from things and they'd the done together. The whole thing would have been, it would have been magnificent if she'd gotten the chance to do it. It would have been such what an amazing... I still don't understand this. I mean, she was Well, in what about the rumor? Which... Somebody wrote, and I don't know if it's factual, that Lucy had the rights. Is that true? No. I don't know. No, because... Lucy has said, no. I mean, Lucy has said to me that it's the one role that she would love to do. And I think because of that history of her mom doing it, that I would be amazed that no one would not jump on that bandwagon. Uh, and hopefully, oh, Lucy would be great, little Lucy. She would oh, be great. Great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes. Sarah, are you Hi. able Oh, oh yeah, Yay! She's come out of the silent movie. We're, we're trying the iPad now. Oh, good. I'm so thrilled that you hung in there. So, oh my God. Sarah, of course, Joanna, uh, your earliest memory of meeting her for the first time. Let's start there. Um. Well, she always, as I as I had said in my little thing on Facebook, she always made all of us feel like we were valued to her and the show. Like, like we, you know, they, they always said, you know, the chorus is the backbone of the show. You know, it, it wasn't like we're the stars. It was like, no, the, they're, the, they're the important ones. And I, I just remember her work ethic. We were rehearsing in, a, in, in the Alvin Theater. Wasn't it the Alvin? I thought uh, it was the Anta. It might be the answer. They keep changing names, and I can't. Uh, <laughs> well, because, anyway, because we all so opening night, opening night at the Eurus, we all got sweats uh, t-shirts from one of the stage crew that said it worked at the Anta. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, That's, that's great. great. Um, but um, I, I just remember her locking herself in one of the dressing rooms with her little cassette recorder back in the day. You know, when everybody had cassette recorders, and she would just go over and over and over those lyrics so that she could she could do it. And she had um, Fran Soder uh, get her, every morning he had to go pick up pizza dough from the pizza parlor, you know, so that she could work with the dough. And it was, you know, when you're young, you know, you think, okay, if I'm, if I'm really talented, I'm gonna get it right on the first or second time that I try. 
you know, and if I don't, then I don't have the talent to make it. And just to watch her, how hard she worked on those lyrics on everything. I mean, she just, the work ethic was just amazing. And that was so important to see, you know, that here was this great star who worked her butt off, you know, to get things right. And, and, you know, the timing with the dough and the lyrics and the, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the everything. I and mean, it just, it was such um, an education. I don't know if any of you saw the post that David Friedman wrote about convincing her to do Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I put that in the column. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Great. I was I loved reading that. Yeah. Uh, but for those who didn't, I mean, she originally turned it down, but she had heard uh, the Peebo Bryson version and thought, "There's no way the I could." Yeah. Yes, the pop version of the song, and uh, but. Do you think that she, I mean, those of you who knew her personally, uh, Harlan, Sarah, Chris, uh, David, um, did she really appreciate this gift that she had as far as her singing is concerned? Can I answer that? Yes. Not until Jerry Herman came along. She, he believed in her so much. Now he wrote Maine for Judy Garland. I mean, that was the voice he heard when he wrote it. Jerry was a client, so I've heard this story nauseam over there. But it was Angie. When Angie came along, he believed so much. And I'm not even certain where he heard her sing or how he heard her mute, heard her. But he, he saw anyone can whistle. He was one I of the ones. Yes, that's whistle. it. That's it. And he he just that was a Sondheim. Yeah, that's right. And he decided to, um, he just knew. He just knew. He snuck in during the audition. The producers didn't water. And he snuck in and played the piano, rehearsed with her, snuck in and played for her, for her audition. Um, he believed in her. He made her believe in her voice. Wow. Before that, she, she, was in the tune. she knew she could carry a tune. She knew she could do that. But I, Jerry was the one who, who really gave her strength to believe in her voice. Well, he, was, he was in the pit. He was under the stage yes. playing the, the yes. piano for her audition. Right. He snuck I, in and played. While you're talking, I want to share just some random photographs that I pulled uh, throughout her career. They're not in any order. I just uh, uploaded them uh, just to give an idea. Uh, you can continue to talk, Harlan, if you'd like. <laughs> I love this photo. Um, it's TV Cares. <laughs> no, that's her, Peter Shaw. Yes. P Peter was a great he guy. Oh, Peter he was, was amazing. Oh, he my was God. amazing. Really nice gentleman. Oh, that's I, I wish I'd been able to learn enough from Angela to find somebody like Peter in my life. I'm right someone... here, Sarah. Pardon? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Today. Thank you. Oh, I, I, have to, I have to share a Peter story. There's Sarah. Love that photo. Beautiful. I love Thank you for world. Oh my yes. god. Oh my god, she looks amazing. There's the Oscar. Yeah. 2013. Manchurian candidate. With Charles Bush and Julie Halston, Ian McKellen. She always made everybody else feel like they were the important one. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. You know, she just had this way. I had no scenes with her in Sweeney, and we had five minutes before the curtain where we'd go to places, and she'd take, as, and we would cross from opposite sides of the stage. And she would take those five minutes and say, 
how are you doing? How's the singing going? How's the family? And she was this way with everybody. But I mean, but she even took those five minutes with me every night. Um, and, and for those five minutes, I was the most important person in her world. And, and that was, Harvey Schmidt is like that as well. You know, that they, they were just people that made you feel like you were the only one in the room while they were talking to you. Didn't you feel that way, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, even Anthony uh, only had a couple of scenes with her. The scene when he returns for the very first time to the pie shop to tell Todd that he's discovered you and what can he do about it. And so the three of them are on the roof. And the other scene was the wig maker sequence where we have a quick little scene there. That was the only time we were on stage together, really. And... Um, but I remember she she didn't miss a trick. All the principals had year contracts except for Victor. And when she discovered that, I remember right after the opening number, she walked over to him and I happened to be nearby and I heard her say to him, I hear you're leaving. Aren't you the clever bunny? Because <laughs> we didn't know if we had springtime for Hitler or not at that point. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't know. Uh, that we were going to be what we, you know, that we were going to be the historic. contrary to popular rumor we're not yeah. and and ron yep. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry ron that you missed that final performance of land uh, and, and angela because my recollection is that we were knee deep in flowers on uh, that stage People well, let me because I've got both of you here and just threw flowers at us. It was amazing. Before before you because cut away, I just have to show. Oh, Go ahead. I I just have to show. This was Angie's opening night gift to us in the cast. These are handmade paperweight meat pies. Oh, I've got another <laughs> one. And, oh, and that's she amazing. Oh, that's on the fabulous. Back. <laughs> Someone's running to get his. And we all have. Hey, Chris them. is going to get his meat pie. Yeah, it's 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 the treasure, and these you know those are her fingerprints in there. But Ron, but I want you to hold that thought for a moment. I showed these photos because when I look back, and TCM is doing a whole day devoted to her uh, in next week, uh, and they're going to play Sweeney Todd. They're going to show, uh, and Sweeney they're going to play Sweeney Todd three o'clock in the morning yeah. here in New York. But uh, oh, but that's the video, right? That's uh, the yes. But yeah. one of the things I wanted to show those photographs because you look at her throughout her film career and she is just stunning on she camera. Is. And yet she said that until she with Mame was the first time that she felt valued as a woman uh, in her career. Uh, that, and you uh, can see it in the photographs. You can yes. see it in the look on her face that she feels. Well, she was allowed to be glamorous. Yes. yes. They finally, exactly. they let her, you know, at her audition for uh, for for Mame, one of the producers said out loud, "Ah, yeah, she's always plays somebody's mother." You know, it was cruel. What's the play? What's the what do you got there, Sweeney Todd? Don't drop it. Oh, Whatever you do, is. don't drop it. <laughs> this was on the beach. This was Angela's. The this was Angela's uh, gift to us in the national tour, and Amazing. on the back it says it's hand painted. Uh, from a design by Angela Lansbury. Oh, that's so wonderful! Oh, it's a little, it's a little girl sitting on the beach watching the sunset, wiggling her toes in the briny. Yeah, 
I want to go. I, around I just want to ask Chris if, if just, just one last quickie because yeah. we got Chris and Sarah here. I, I've heard this story that Len Carrier told this story to Jason Alexander, and Jason told it to me. So I haven't heard it firsthand. But I want to know if you've ever heard it. Uh, when they were doing the show and you were in previews, and there was so much going on. The, the 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 button at the end of the show had not been created, and you know it was the end of you know the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. No, right. right. Well, well, Len said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And Hal Prince just kept saying, just give me. And finally, he just said, oh, Len, just slam the fucking door. <laughs> oh, Which, as we know, that. is one of the most iconic moments in the wow. theater. And it was created out of out of haste. Desperation. Yeah. So That's a great just wanted story. To tell you, I, I, I hope it's true, true, but Len apparently told it. Yeah, let's make it just true. The let's make it true. Little did he know that it would be oh, so wrong. I mean, because oh. because I I mean I've been going to the theater as I said for fifty years, and you know standing ovations are all the thing these days. But I will never. I jumped out of my seat when he slammed that door. I, yeah. I just you there was no other response that because the the whole evening was so overwhelming. I mean, it yeah. really is Sondheim's masterpiece, and uh, uh, that was really something. The slamming of the door. I Richard, go- Richard, back to you. Yeah, we've gone over a little <laughs> bit, and we are going to go a little over, but uh, and I, I'm going to wrap it up in a few moments. But I want to start with, and I want to go around, and uh, I want to ask each of you if there's a specific role uh, performance that she gave that still resonates so deeply in you, and what your thoughts are on that particular uh, role or performance. I'll start with you, Ron. Well, I mean, because I saw it so many times and, and really, like I said before, it was the, the, the putting together of everything she ever learned as an actor. The, her, her Mrs. Lovett is, um, it's essential. Uh, I thank God it was recorded and, uh, and that we have it because um, it, 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 it's, uh, it's something every actor should watch and learn from. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I mean, since I was there uh, and I was... I you know, did Sweeney on Broadway with her for a year and then 10 months on the road. So that that also would would be the role. She was so consistent. And on the road, Marge Redmond was her oh my God. was her so-called understudy. And she was supposed to do two a week. And then people weren't coming uh, to the show when she wasn't when Angela wasn't performing. So I remember toward the end of the run, the 10, the 10 months, uh, we, we were cut down to like six shows a week and Marge didn't really get to do it very much. And, uh, and there were a few performances where Angela was sick and um, she, it, it was really upsetting to her. And she said, ne- never again, I'll, I'll go on sick if I have to. If I can, if I can squeak something out, I'm, I'm going to do it. But yeah, I mean, her performance in Sweeney was just so consistent and so brilliant that that that's, you know, the show, that's the role that I saw her do again and again and again. And and I was in some scenes with her and I always found it interesting. I always thought actors had to look each other right in the eye to make it truthful. And when we were doing dialogue together, she never looked me in the eye. She was just over my forehead or just past this side of my forehead. And I thought, how is she doing that? But she's making it look as if she's really communicating with me. So, 
Wow, thanks for sharing that. Uh, David? Yeah, I'm going to stick with what I said before, and it's a tie between Dear World and Gypsy for me. Okay. Harlan? I'm probably the exception to the rule. I didn't get to know Angie from uh, Theater First, and I have a show and tell because she found out that the first role that I that she won me over on was the jester was and she sent me this oh is, my, oh god, my god. god wow this is, this is the original edith head wow. and she signed, wow. signed it right there for my birthday and that was the first role that i became familiar with her you know that whole danny k that whole you know that whole the comedy um the timing of that just that that one that that scene the vessel and the pestle and the you know, that was my, I love this woman moment. <laughs> That's wonderful. Wow. And Sarah? Um, well, uh, uh, I'm with Chris, you know, that it's like when you watch somebody build something from the ground up, because the script changed a lot from uh, the first few incarnations that, that they sent us um, to what they became. And I just remember with her and Len and Hal, that they would discuss um, how much music hall to bring into it and how scary to be, because it was originally a much gorier show. Um, there was a lot more blood and guts uh, initially. And, um, and, and so to watch her balance being too likable and too scary it was it was fascinating to watch them go through that and just to watch her build it um you know these were not uh, these roles were not cemented um when we first started and so just to watch it change and evolve and uh who these people were and of course hal doesn't direct character he he hires you because he thinks you're right for the character and then how you get there is your business. He wants to see a visual picture. And so even in Angela's book, I remember her saying, we kept waiting for the great director to tell us, you know, give us notes about our character. And he never did. No. That it was really up to us as to who we were. And uh, just briefly, um, I, I was Benjamin Barker's daughter and Betsy Jocelyn, who later took over the role and who was my understudy, um, was Sweeney Todd's daughter, and they were completely different takes on the character, and both are valid. You know, they it, and there's debates to this day as to which one they liked better. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it's just it was just interesting to watch her go from being musical, fun and charming and adorable, to really being scary, and to watch her find those moments, and and to, but not to be too scary. You still had to love her so and care about her so that when she got it in the end, you know, that you were devastated. Um, so anyway, it, that's that's my long winded answer. But um, I didn't get to hear most of what you <laughs> other guys said for most of this broadcast. So, um, well, Sarah, I'm going to give you the final word tonight. But before we get there, I am going to give my thank you all for being here tonight. Um, you know, I only got to know her from afar. As a fan, uh, like I said, I only met her once. That one moment of being with her, and I can attest this from all that all that you said, she makes you feel like you're the most important person in the room. And she looks, uh, 
And Chris, when we met, she looked me right in the eye. So <laughs> she, she was right there holding my hand, asking about what I did. She seemed to be more interested mm -hmm. in knowing who I was. And uh, I met her and Jerry together when Mrs. Santa Claus came out. And uh, so, uh, but to see her on stage, thank God I had those moments. And as I said earlier, uh, Thank God that we've got her uh, film work, uh, her recordings, because the voice is just phenomenal. And I agree, David, I think you uh, mentioned with, uh, or Ron, you're talking about her performance uh, on Dear World and just how glorious that voice is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I want to say- I, I wanna, I, I, I'm gonna, I want to clarify, I do realize that she didn't actually do the Vessel of the Pestle scene, but in Court Jester, she just stole- uh, Glennis oh. Johns. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I didn't- yeah. I know she didn't actually do that scene. That's, that's the first one that came to my mind we were talking about. That's oh, I can I just say one thing real quick yes, about the, the singing? When the singing, um, she studied with my voice teacher. Um, I, I studied with that voice teacher 20 years after she did. But when she was learning Sweeney, um, Sondheim sent her to this voice teacher because she was having to sing a third higher in her voice than she ever had before. And she was scared to death. And so Laura... Uh, Thomas helped her sing sing it, and actually, Laura said that she could have been a dramatic soprano if she had decided to go that route. Wow! Um, yeah, it's like Chris. Chris could have been a dramatic soprano. No, it's a great instrument. Fantastic. It's an incredible yeah. instrument. Yeah, but Sarah, one of those airplane talks that I had with her. Uh huh. I had to. I I, I tried never to ask fanboy questions, but um, I said, "How the hell did you learn that?" I'm trying to picture never having heard Sweeney Todd and learning those lyrics um, from scratch. And it seemed like daunting to me. And, and she was just, no, dear, you just do it. You know, that's your job. That, you know, that's it. It's shit hard work and you just do it over yeah. and over and over. Yeah. Well, people are always amazed when, uh, how do you learn all those Shakespearean lines? Well, they yeah. rhyme. You know. <laughs> that helps. So I'm going to give my closing remarks, then Ron, then Chris, then David, Harlan, and Sarah, you'll have the closing words tonight, especially uh -oh. since it took you the longest to get here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and don't worry, when you say goodbye at the end, the credits will roll. Uh, but I do want to thank everybody for being here tonight and once again say how lucky we are uh, that we lived at a time that she was with us. And uh, uh, as and Harlan, you remember this uh, at uh, Carol's Memorial. Uh, Tyne Daly read this beautiful uh, poem about thinking of them as being in the next room. Yeah. So I will always think of her as being in the next room. And the wonderful- Trying to get onto StreamYard. <laughs> I'm sorry? Trying to get onto StreamYard. Trying to get onto StreamYard. Uh, <laughs> I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. I also want to take a moment uh, because the theater community, we just lost Susan Schulman. And Susan was a dear friend. And uh, I spoke with her just a few weeks ago. And little did I know that that would be the last time that we would be speaking. Susan Schulman, the uh, director or the publicist? Uh, uh, Susan L. Schulman, the publicist. The publicist. Oh. Um, but the last thing I said to her was, uh, she said, I love you. And I said, I love you more. 
And those were our last words with each other. So I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the first name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know that they matter in your life. I mean, imagine all this outpouring of love. Uh, you know, with Angela, it was always there. But a lot of people don't see it the way that we, they, we all present it after someone passes on. So I think it's important that we take the time to do that. Uh, I have a dear friend, uh, Sean Moniger, and he says, you know, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. You never know what someone else is going through right now. And I always say, if you're going to go out in the boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So I'm going <laughs> to leave the screen. And Ron, you've got the next final word. Thank you all for being here tonight. Oh, all I'm going to say is that uh, for 10 years, I lived in Brentwood and uh, Angela Lanzer is my neighbor. And I always hope to bump into her at the Brentwood Country Mart or the Brentwood Market. And then uh, leave it to my buddy, Peter Gallagher, who I've known for years and who also lived in Brentwood to write on Facebook this week that he loved bumping into Angela at the Brentwood uh, grocery store and they would have battles with their carts. And I just I, <laughs> I wish I'd had that opportunity. That would have been that would have made my life to, if I could have gone down a grocery cart aisle and bumped carts with Angela Lansbury. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just uh, to um, show her generosity again, two things quickly. After that first year, she threw a Christmas party on the stage of the Urus, buffets out the wazoo, and it wasn't just for the cast, it was for the musicians, box office, ushers, people who worked at the theater, their families, their spouses, and she she just we had this huge Christmas party. So that was one thing. The other thing was she had two dressing rooms side by side and the inner sanctum was where they did the makeup and hair and all that. And the outer uh, dressing room was always open to anybody who wanted to come in and sit and talk. There were flowers, there was food and it was just something she did. And that's who she was. And it was such an honor to to have worked with her all those two and a half years for me. Yeah. I think I'll just, uh, this isn't a word that I use a lot. Uh, it's just not the way I talk, but I just want to say I, I feel extremely blessed yeah. to have known her as much and as well as I did. Certainly there are those that knew her better and longer and whatever, but um, it's just one of the crowning achievements of my life was my friendship with her. I, and I, I really am, I'm still, I'm very, very sad that she's gone. Um, the, the one story that is registering in my head right now, and I, I hope it makes sense. Um, I was very, very blessed to have known her. Uh, when Peter passed away, the day before, I had found a Life magazine photo of her and Peter coming down out of the church, having just gotten married, and down the stairs. And I thought, this is wonderful. And I packaged it up and shipped it to her. And Peter died the next day. So that meant the ma the magazine cover, the photo would arrive after Peter had passed, right after. And I called Dina, her sister. I was just terrified that she would open this. I'd send it to the Brentwood address rather than the office. And I was afraid that it just would bring up bad memories and she'd be so sad. The this A testament to her is Dina called her, I guess, her and told her. She called me to make sure and wrote me a note to make sure I was okay. 
that she was fine. She thought it was a wonderful gift. She and that she was more concerned about me being worried that I had offended her than than I. You know, she just was. Everyone else was the person she worried about. Everyone else she cared about. Everyone else, you were you were the number one thing, and and you couldn't offend her. She just was too wonderful for words. And I'm echoing what Harlan said about how she seemed to take care of everyone else. I remember that Christmas party where she put her own money into it. The producers were just going to have it for the cast. And she said, no, everybody must be invited. And so she put her own money into that dinner that um, Chris was talking about, that Christmas celebration thing, um, because it was important to her that everyone was included. And uh, for someone, for a star of that stature, it's just her humanity is what keeps shining through. And it showed in her in her performances as well. Um, there was just so much that was learned from her, both as an actress and as a, but mostly as a human being. Uh, and I am so grateful to the stars aligning that I got a chance to interact with that. And for that, I will always love you, Angela. Um, more than I can say. Thank you.